This is Help, I'm a Children's Pastor, Episode 9. Hi there. Welcome to Help, I'm a Children's Pastor, where we're focusing on the needs of the everyday children's minister. This is episode 10, brought to you the week of January 12th, 2012. I'm your host, James Kennison, children's pastor at Suncoast Cathedral in beautiful St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, real quick, just going to tell you right now, not a real show. What I'm going to do um, is I'm releasing a recording of a sermon I did in big church a couple of months ago, and I just want to share it with you, and I hope you get a lot out of it. Basically, the message is that God loves you. He loves the core of who you are. He doesn't love you for what you do for Him or what you provide. He's not in it for what He can get from you. He's in it to give. So I hope you enjoy this. It's it's um, it's a retelling of the story <clears throat> of um, Joseph. And uh, and then a little bit of my story as well. So I hope you enjoyed it. It's uh, about 45 minutes long. And uh, we'll see you on the other side. God, my words are nothing unless they're inspired by you. My, there is nothing in me that's going to change a single life. Um, so you know what, God? We need you here. I've called on you so many times this week. So here it is. Done everything I can do. These folks are here and they're ready. They've done everything they can do, Father. So we now ask you to do everything you can do. Meet us here where we are and bring us where you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Ah, la, 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 la. We're going to be, you can open up to Genesis chapter 37 if you want to. We're going to be reading through. Believe it or not, you know, I sit and ask God, what do you want me to talk about? And God's like, "Um, I want you to talk about Joseph. And I'm like, man, that's what Pastor just talked about. That's cheating. But um, God thinks it's funny, so if you hear snickering and laughing in a very deep voice, that's Him. God is so good to us, isn't He? He is. Uh, you know, it just takes a minute. Sometimes it's hard to be thankful, though, because everything that is natural and normal and easy and all the things we take for granted are God's gifts. Let me explain. I don't mean we do it purposefully. I mean, every time something doesn't go wrong, do you notice it? No. When the key doesn't break off in the lock when you really need to go to the bathroom, do you notice it? No. You only notice it when it does. When the car starts, some of us do say, thank you, Jesus. I I remember those days. But do you usually? No. We only realize it when things go wrong. That's why I can say that a gift from God is anything in your life that comes easy. Man, when your hair goes in place, thank God. Oh, because when it don't, isn't it a mess? Us guys have to struggle with that too. Those of us that have hair, no offense guys, that don't. Not only does he give us a life to live though, he gives us this life on this earth. He gave us His Son to die for our sins. He sets us up to win with so many great and wonderful gifts. Every single thing that is good in your life is a gift from God. Everything that goes easy for you, everything that that is just a non-issue is a gift from God. 
James 1.17 says this, Every good, and I'm reading NIV, by the way. Sorry for NIV haters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Every good and perfect thing that's going on in your life is a gift from God. Love that. Some gifts are more obvious than others. Now I'm going to expand the meaning of gifts a little bit to include talents and abilities, things like that. Some gifts are more obvious than others. Some are valued by others. Some are taken for granted. Some of the value, uh, the things that we value in our world are people with a great voice who can sing. Man, we just love that. Oh, uh, Somebody that's really, really good at sweeping the floor, we don't so much value that. But there are people, that's their gift. It's not mine. Though my wife would say it is. She says I'm good at floors. There's some would say that they have no gifts. Well, I want to tell you right now, that I believe everybody's given gifts. You know, just like the parable of the talents, some are given one, some are given three, some are given five. But Romans twelve sixteen says this, we have different gifts according to the grace that is given to each of us. So basically, grace is the unmerited favor of God. God's gifts are given without favoritism. Okay? The unmerited favor. Don't confuse the word favor with favorite. God don't play favorites. But there are people out here today that sit in, 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 in the world even, in a larger scale, and they don't draw, they don't paint, they don't sing, they don't act. They, they don't like kids. I don't blame you most of the time. I love y'all's. I don't always like mine. Got two. But, uh, but you're sitting out there and you compare yourself to people that are, that are up here, people like me, people that, that sing, people that play, people that... Their personalities just seem to lend themselves to getting to know other people. And you judge yourself against that and you come up short. But let me tell you again, favor doesn't necessarily equal favorite. God gives everybody gifts. They may not shine as bright as others, but we're all members of the same body. We're all gifted. Some three, some one, some five. And I've got a theory because of that story I mentioned about the talents, the parable of the talents, if you know how it goes at the end, I got a theory that if that guy with the one talent, because I like telling the story to the kids the, the, the way it should have gone, I have a theory that if that guy with the one talent had done what he was supposed to do, he would have been rewarded more than all the rest because he was given so little to work with and he didn't allow it to get him down and he did the most he could. Similar to the, to the widow putting her mites in. Remember her? She got glorified more than the rich guys. I just have a theory about that. So today I have a message, though, that I believe is coming from God. And I don't say that very often because it seems presumptuous that, you know, but I really do. I, I, when I ask God, what do you want? I would have never picked the same text pastor just to preach from weeks ago. Um, but he says this, and I had to quote it. Your value comes for the lo- from the love that I have for you. Not for the gifts that I have given you, and not for the gifts I have not given you. You understand what he's saying is, his, your value is not based on the gifts you have or do not have. So today we're going to talk about gifts and talents and values. See, in our world, gifts and talents results in favor. Favor. Uh, favor makes it easy for people to, I don't know, get in your house. For instance, if uh, Elvis Presley 
came up to your door. Let's pretend he's not dead. Some people think he's not. It's all good. My mom doesn't think he is. If he's not, I bet he wish he was because he's old now. No offense. But imagine he come up to the door. Hey, uh, how you doing, ma'am? My, after she woke up, my mom would kindly let him in and, and give him a soda, Diet Coke probably. That's all she has. <laughs> favor. Talent equals favor, does it not? But if, if somebody comes up and, and they just knock on your door, hey, can I use your phone? Uh, <laughs> no, no thanks. I'm out of minutes. <laughs> Value. In our world, gifts and talents results in favor. People love people who are talented. From American Idol all the way to Sunday morning services, we give favor. An instant in, if you will, to people that we like. And, and, and I'm not here to preach against that. I think that's natural. I like spaghetti. It's my favorite. That's not a sin. Um, anything that's not spaghetti, I don't like as much as spaghetti. And that's okay. And, and, you know, we've got personalities and this, that, and the other. And some people you like more than others. That's, you know, whatever. Um, But unlike God's favor, our favor is completely un or is completely merited. It is not unmerited. There's a double negative for you. People love people who are talented, and in the sports and entertainment world, we like or dislike someone solely based on their performance. Is that true? We don't know them personally. Only when they run over somebody or bite somebody's ear off do we find out a little bit about their character. I've even said it myself. I don't care about their lifestyle and what they wear, but I just think they're an awesome actor. Oh, oh. Come on, you said it too. I'm saved. I don't watch movies. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) On our own world where we live, we do the same thing. We rank others' value on what they can do and usually what they can do for us. But I'm not here to talk about that. Like I said, it's natural to like things you like. It's natural to, to, to give and, and, and all that kind of stuff in a relationship. I like my wife a lot more than my kids. I know that's probably weird, but uh, I married her. I didn't marry them. I promised to having to hold her for all my life. Them, I, I'm 18. I'm done. I'm going to wash my hands in a bowl. God's concern today is that our world and even the church has been trained to believe that the gifted person, wait a minute, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. God's concern today for us today, this message today, is that our world and even the church has trained the gifted person to believe that their gifts are all they're good for. The gifted person to believe that their gifts are all they're good for, that they have nothing to offer outside of what they can offer others. And that if stripped of their talent, they would be valueless. And likewise, God's concern is for the untalented, quote-unquote, those of you that think you don't have anything to offer. He's worried about you because you've deemed yourself worthless. Because you don't think you have anything to give. Today, I need to tell you two stories. One is about a nice-looking, strong young man, 17 years old. He was the father, I'm sorry, the second youngest son in a huge family. His uh, father's favorite. He was gifted. He had dreams given to him by God. He was highly favored by his father. And according to Genesis 20, or 37.2, which is where I'm going to start, this is the account of Jacob. 
Joseph, a young man, 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of somebody and the sons of somebody else. His father's wives, and he he must have loved them a lot because they have weird names. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Let me stop right there. What is a bad report? How many of you guys as parents know how often your kids bring a bad report about your other children? Yeah, we have a name for that in America. It's called a tattletale. Joseph had all this stuff. He was highly favored. He was the favorite of his family. And he used all of those talents and gifts and abilities and all that favor to be a punk. To tattletale on his brothers. Daddy, get from on. And what, what does Joseph, here's the next verse. I don't think this is on accident. What, is Jay, what do we do when our kid comes and, and starts tattling? Go, go hit him. Have you tried that? You know, no, we don't do that. We, we tell them, go work it out, or if you come in here again and bother me, I'm going to make you play out in the yard all day. That's what my mom used to say. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. That was verse 3. Because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. Wow! So he was rewarded for being a punk, for being a tattletale. His brothers saw he loved him more than any of them, and they hated him. So uh, Joseph was a bratty tattletale. 37.3 tells us he was a prideful punk, strutting his father's favor like a peacock. They went and showed. Joseph had a dream, too. Oh, by the way, wait a minute. Uh, four. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they could not speak a kind word to him. Five. Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And we know what the dream was. Oh, we're going to bow down to you. So uh, he used his gifts and pride, lording it over his brothers. And then in, in 38.10, we hear he has another dream, and his father overhears it. And even he is like, are we going to bow to you, your mom and me and all your brothers? So he lords it even over his own parents, the people that had made him think this. Now, the dreams were legitimate. They were from God. There's no doubt. We have no doubt. They did come true. But Joseph was using his gifts the wrong way. And I don't even know if I can blame him. He was raised up to believe that he was God's gift to his family. He had been raised up. The son that was given to his father in his old age. Why not share with his family how awesome he was? Now God even agreed that he was all that in a bag of chips. They would love him even more, right? Wrong. No, his brothers hated him more and more with every word he spoke. Why? Because gifts aren't enough. Gifts aren't enough to sustain you. He had gifts, but he didn't have any character. I've heard it said that God's gifts minus godly character equals pride. And I've also heard this, that talent will take you further than your character can sustain you. You might want to write that down. That's good because I didn't make it up. Talent will take you further than your character can sustain you. And guys, we've seen that. You know, you, you go to Wikipedia and look up some of the top artists of the day right now. Some of these great singers that are singing things that maybe most of us don't agree with. Most of them started in youth group, in church. And uh, their talent carried them further than their character can sustain them. As soon as they got that money waved under their face, you look at Katy Perry. She was a Christian. She has a Christian album out. You can probably still go buy it. Hard to believe now. Even one of her songs, she's telling God, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And I'm not here to judge her. I'm just saying she, she didn't do that. So talent... And gifts are not enough. 
The favor his father showed and the value his father placed on him failed Joseph. Family favor was not enough. Plus, the love that Joseph had for his son, the favor he had, was it really based on anything Joseph had done? No. It tells you right there, he was the son of, Joseph, of, of Jacob's old age. He was the proof that he was still the man. That's the only thing he liked about Joseph. Plus, he liked his mama more. So uh, we know the rest of the story. I'm going to skip through the next couple chapters, especially that one about Tamar. It's gross. If you want to read that on your own time, please do. It's just a chapter we don't ever preach on in children's church for some reason. It's not a lot of object lessons that really work. I mean, there are, but we get phone calls. So, so uh, Joseph uh, was sold to slavers, who in turn, who in turn t- sold him to Potiphar. Potiphar always makes kids laugh, that name, because if you just mispronounce a little bit, it sounds like potty. Just letting you know. The Bible says in Genesis 39 that Joseph's gifts gave him favor in Potiphar's eyes and we see that his giftings made a place for him. He got put second in charge of everything that Potiphar did. Matter of fact, Potiphar didn't worry about anything in his house except for the things he ate. But uh, the same giftings that made a place for him also made a problem for him, didn't he? Didn't they? He was good looking and Potiphar's wife wanted to be with him. He gets cornered one day, he runs, she grabs his clothes, he's accused, Potiphar gets angry, and he is thrown into prison. Again, favor failed Joseph, didn't it? Wasn't enough. The same gifts that gave him value and earned him favor put him in a situation that he couldn't handle. See, some fa- I've heard this preached several different ways. Some people uh, say Joseph knew what was going on and he enjoyed the attention. Some things say, say he was completely innocent. He was a man of God. I don't think he was guilty of either of those. I think he was guilty of thinking that his slyness, his coolness, his suaveness, his talents and his gifts would get him out of any situation. He thought he was in control. He was fast on his feet, apparently. He was running so fast his clothes came off. He could take care of this issue. He didn't need to even tell his master about it. Because even if she says anything, surely the favor I have earned with my master, he will take my side over hers. Is that what happened? Absolutely not. Because he was favored, but he was not valued. Potiphar was all too eager to prove that. Because as soon as this lady whined and cried and showed her evidence, he was very, very quickly thrown into the prison, the king's prison. And Joseph's value, gone. I said all of that. That was all my intro. It's going to be a long day. It's okay. Some of y'all get your kids early. I know. No matter what. I said all that to share, to share the first thing that God wants you to know today. And I know I'm throwing in a lot of humor, but this is, this is what God told me. You are not valued by the gifts I have given you. You are not valued by the gifts that I have given you. God's gifts aren't given to us because we're awesome. He doesn't watch you in your mother's womb and say, oh yeah, ah, they're awesome. I'm gonna give, oh, you're going to be really good with puzzles. Oh, look at that puzzle kid. But they're given by grace, remember? Unmerited. It, I, would, I don't want to use the word random, but I, you know, that's the closest thing I can come to is God doesn't play favorites. So he just gives his gifts based on what he decides. That can sound like a negative, but it means that you have value beyond your gifts. As we saw with Joseph, when Joseph's gifts failed him, he had no value. 
to the people that he was entrusting, his family, Potiphar, even later the jailer. Our value comes from somewhere else. Though the value we put on ourselves can go up and down, God's value isn't dependent on things like achievement, progress, dedication, drive, and purpose. The things that make America great, the things we've been trained to believe about ourselves, those are all good and wonderful things, but they're not the things that make you you. And they're not the things that God values you for. It's very important. That, mean, uh, that means that whatever you're, whether you're super talented and using it all for His glory or if you feel you have nothing to give, God loves both types of people exactly the same. Both of y'all need to hear this. Both types of people need to know that. There's nothing you can do that will ever make God love you more than he loves you right now. You cannot earn. Man, that takes so much pressure off of us us, uh, perfectionists, doesn't it? Oh. And guys, there's nothing you can ever do that will make God love you less. And that doesn't preach easy, but it it sure does hear good. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Your value comes from the fact that the God of the universe loves you, and he proved that by sending his son. How can you tell how much something's worth on eBay? There's no way to know. It's all dependent on how much somebody will pay for it, right? I put up a projector one time. I got for 10 bucks off a guy. Somebody bought it for 350 bucks. You know how much that thing was worth? 350 bucks. You know how much you're worth? What God paid for you. And what did he pay for you with? The greatest thing he had. His son, his very own son. That's what you're worth. So Joseph finds himself in prison. Again, God gives, uh, his God-given talents and his hard work and his motivation, his management skills, uh, he is granted favor. Now, it doesn't say it that way. If you read it, let me see here. Here we go. In uh, 3920, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Thanks, Potiphar. See you later, Joe. But while Joseph was in there in the prison, the Lord was with him, showed him kindness, and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So grant me a little bit of paraphrase when I would say that um, that, that favor probably came the same way the rest of it did through his God-given talents and gifts. However God did it, I don't know exactly, but I would imagine that it wasn't just by sitting and crying in a prison cell. So he's granted favor, and the warden puts him in charge of the whole prison. Soon the king's cupbearer and the baker offend the king. I don't want to be a baker that is offensive. I don't even know how a baker would get in trouble. How would you do that? I don't even know. Maybe, maybe he made a, a cake in the shape of his head or something, and it just looked ugly. I don't know, but... I've never known a baker that offended me. Not even the donut ladies are offended when I can't make up my mind. So I don't understand. But anyway, they're both uh, put in prison with Joseph and each of them have a dream. Joseph interprets. The baker's going to be executed. Man, it's a hard job. It's tough. Retirement planted. So, but uh, the cupbearer is to be restored to his position and Joseph asks the cupbearer to do him a favor. He says one thing, remember me. I did something for you with my gifts and talents, and I want you to do something with me with your favor and your gifts and your talents. So here's Joseph wheeling and dealing, still using the same old, same old. Surely the cupbearer was eager to agree because the value of Joseph's service was high at the time. But as soon as he got what he needed, favor forgot Joseph again. 
The cupbearer was free. Joseph's valuable services and his entire person, not just his services, but his person was forgotten for two years. He was stuck in that prison for two years, forgotten. The second thing God wants to tell you today is you are not valued for what you can do for me. People tend to place more value on others that offer what they need most. For instance, when your air conditioner breaks, your value on the air conditioner repairman goes very high. When your air conditioner is fine, you never think about the poor air conditioner man. Okay? My, if the needs change, the value changes. This is why marriages fail, by the way. When you're young and you need one thing and then you get older and you need something else. This is why self-esteem has become a huge issue for kids and adults. We've been trained to value ourselves by how useful we are. And for those of you that are super talented from your childhood up, if you were like me, people have prophesied over you and said, oh, you're going to be such a great this and you're going to be such a great that and you, 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 you. But they're not talking about you, are they? They don't know you. They know what you've done for them, the ears that you've tickled, the, the, the poetry that you wrote or the song that you sang or the art that you made or the personality or the jokes or the whatever. They don't know you. God wants you to know that he values you for who you are, not what you do. Sure, he wants you to see you become all that he created you to be, but he'll accept you where you are. I, uh, the old uh, comedian Mike Warnke used to say, do you need to get cleaned up to take a bath? No. No, God doesn't need you to get better before he receives you. He'll accept you however you are. But the thing is, and I've heard this so many times, that God wants to use us. But let me say it a little different way, and maybe you'll get what I'm saying. God doesn't want to use you. You understand what I'm saying? He doesn't want to use you. Like we use a napkin or a trash bag where where we use it and then we throw it away when we're done. He doesn't want to use you like that. Like we get used so many times. God says in Deuteronomy 31.6b, the last half, I will never leave you or forsake you. Never. No matter what. His choice to love you and his desire to be with you isn't based on what he can get out of it. In other words, he's not in this relationship for for what he can get from you. The Bible says that our best stuff is like what? Filthy what? Rags. Things we keep in the garage. That's the best we have to offer. He's not in it for what we can give him, is he? I can prove that with one scripture. It's Romans 5, 8. Jesus died. That's not the scripture. I'm reading something else. Jesus died for folks who would never even love him back. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for everybody, didn't he? How many people are never going to return that love? A lot of them, unfortunately. And he still died for them. He's not in it for what he can get out of it. He's in it for what he can give you. You're not valued for what you can do for God. So Joseph, he's forgotten two years. Pharaoh finally has a dream. The cupbearer finally remembers Joseph and he's brought before the king. Something changes in Joseph during those two years. You can hear it in the way he communicates. Notice the way Joseph speaks in Genesis 41. 41, 25. Joseph says to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he was about to do. 
The seven, uh, well, hold on. God, I can, uh, let's back up to 15, my bad. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that you, uh, you can, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. In 16, he says the key thing. I can't do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Does that sound like the same Joseph at 17 that didn't even mention God when he had his dreams? No way. No way. And again, what we just read in 41, 25, dreams of Pharaoh, one and the same. God has revealed this to Pharaoh, what he's about to do. And, uh, and then he says it again in 14, 28. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. He's given God the glory three times so far. And then in 41, 32, skipping down there, he says the same thing. Or he says, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by who? God. And God will do it soon. Joseph is a completely different person while using his gifts than when he was 17. Two years of being forgotten. Two years of being forgotten. He's learned that he is not a dream interpreter. He's not a person that interprets dreams. He is a person who God has gifted with interpreting dreams. Do you understand the difference? He's not an interpreter. He doesn't interpret. God does through him. The pride is gone. I can't tell you what went on in that dungeon for those two years. It doesn't say. But I can share with you the second story of a different young man, not so well built, not so handsome, not so young. That young man... Um, I can tell you what happened to me when I hit bottom. I was in a place in my life where I wanted to know God more. I'd been a Christian since I was four years old. How many of you guys can relate to that? There's that phase you go through where you don't have a testimony. Everybody else has done stuff bad. You haven't. But the problem is you struggle because you've seen God move. You've seen healings. You've seen this and seen that. Or the contrary, maybe you haven't seen any of that. And you go through the struggle of, do I love God because I love God? Or do I love God because that's all I know? And I think sometimes it's harder for God to reach church kids than it is for Him to reach the kids that are unchurched. I wanted to know God more. I wasn't where I was supposed to be spiritually, but at the same time I was afraid of God. I was completely convinced that God had put me through hell as a child so that He could use me to help other kids when I got of age. And I, for some reason, was completely okay with that. I accepted it. I even prided myself in it. I'm, I praise God. Thank you so much for being able to use me, even though if you couldn't, you would hate my guts. It wasn't quite that way, but that's the way I felt. That's what my heart was actually saying. But the side effect was that I saw God as someone who could only love me as long as I was useful to Him. If I didn't turn out exactly the way He wanted, then all the stuff I'd gone through was for nothing. And everything was, I would just be put aside and somebody else would have to step up. So I was useful. I worked hard. I was always involved for, with God. Even when I wasn't living right, man, I was, I was involved in church. But in my core, I felt empty. And you're going to have to pardon my language, but I felt like a piece of poo. In my soul, if I looked deep enough, I felt like that's all I was, was just a little piece of what's it. I would worship and praise God for his goodness. That he would be able to use someone he would otherwise loathe. I don't know if anybody's ever felt that way, but I want to, this message is for you. 
One day I knew something had to change. It wasn't working. I felt empty. I hated myself. I prayed the most dangerous prayer, actually the second most dangerous prayer I ever prayed. I prayed this, Lord, break me. Second most dangerous prayer. The first most dangerous prayer is, Lord, give me a son. And the moms and dads of sons said, amen, yes. But I pray, Lord, break me. I remember the day I did it. And looking back, it was the beginning of the darkest season spiritually of my life. Not in a sinful way, not in an immoral way, but just the valley of the shadow of death kind of stuff. People ask what that means, uh, valley of the shadow of death. Having gone through it myself, I can tell you, um, if you, if you go on a highway and the semi-truck looks like it's going to come right at you and hit you, but it just goes by and you pass through a shadow, that's what it's like. Death doesn't touch you. You just safely pass through, but it sure is scary. Anyway, I knew it had to change. Lord, break me. I was so desperate that I didn't even care if the process took my life, my family, my house, nothing. I, I'm such... I'm the kind of person that I want to do God thing, the God thing the right way or I'm not going to do it at all because it's really hard for me to live for God. It is very difficult. I, it does not come naturally for me. Can I be honest with you? I do not always enjoy the things Christians can't do and have to do. Okay? But that's why we have the Spirit of God in us. That's why we live a life that depends on God. If we could do it on our own and we didn't need God... I don't know that we'd be really be Christians anyway. But I wanted more, even if it took my life. Soon after, after a church service, it was, I was at a church service and God spoke to me inside my mind. He says, I want all my stuff back. I was praying, God, just you love me and I'm just dumb and stupid. And God says, I want my stuff back. And I knew immediately what he meant. It was in my head, by the way. I always get confused. When I was a kid, I'd hear people say, God spoke to me, and I was always mad because he never talked to me. And I always figured if he actually did, I'd probably wet myself. I was a kid. I'm scared. Um, God speaks to me in my mind. My mind's a scary place, so whenever something makes sense or is very hard to do or or is backed by Scripture, I know it's got to be him. Because otherwise, I'm thinking about Transformers and Ninja Turtles and stuff all the time. So uh, God wanted his talents and his gifts back. Now, for those of you who don't know me, I'm just going to tell you the stuff I do. I'm an artist. I play guitar. I sing. I write songs. I do internet podcasting. I, I, um, I don't know, I craft and, you know, fix things and just, I don't know. It's pretty cool. You know, I'm a pretty cool guy. So I was really upset because in my mind, God showed me this beautiful ball. And I could tell it was layered. And, and as I started to release these things, you know, or actually, I don't know if he was taking them or what, but I felt these layers wafting off of this. And I've never been a person that had a lot of visions and stuff. So I just kind of saw this in my head. And, um, and I was really scared. I was very scared. It was so real. You know, when God gets you and it's real and it's, you just feel it, that's the way it was. And I was like, matter of fact, when it was over, I'll tell you, I, I didn't touch a guitar or pick up a pencil for like a week because I was scared to death that I was going to not be able to draw anymore or play the guitar. Like, it was that real. Like, he had taken his stuff. So he starts taking stuff, and, and, and I can feel this stuff lifting off of my soul. I saw layers of this ball drifting upward. And, and, and God would kind of mention the things he was taking, and then the obvious stuff went first. But then I heard your connection with kids. I'm like, what? That was a gift? I thought I was just immature. Dang. 
And then my musical abilities go. And then the one that killed me, your relationship with your wife. And I was like, what? That's a gift? He goes, what have you ever done to earn the kind of love she has for you? I'm like, nothing. Nothing. Look at me. (laughs) Not doing a whole lot now. But it was so real and I was so afraid. The ball was getting smaller and smaller and I knew that ball was me and I was being taken apart. My soul felt more empty than I ever thought possible. And when the last layer was gone, what I had most feared about myself actually turned out to be true. Because all there was was this little stupid little brown ball of poo. And it was so heartbreaking. But God hadn't given up on me. He was stripping away the things that I thought was me, the me that I showed to others, the me that I presented to God, the me that tried to earn love, the me that tried to impress people, the me that wasn't me. And turned out none of that was me at all. I was that little ball of what's it. And here's the part that tore me to pieces. God said, you see that? I love that. I love that. That's you and I love you. And I realized it wasn't poo, it was clay. His fingerprints were all over it. He couldn't do anything because I'd put all this junk between me and him that I thought was him. He couldn't use me because I wasn't giving him myself to use. Imprinted with his own fingerprints. And to this day, he's still shaping me and molding me and testing me. Seasons change, mood swings, public opinion sways. But I know something that I want you to know this morning, and this is number three. Whatever you are and whatever you're not, this is what God is saying. I love that. I love that. Not the way you dress, not your personality, not the way you hold a hammer, not the way you walk, not the money you make. I love you. I love that, the core. Whatever you think you are, whatever you think you're not, I made that. And I love that. Jesus didn't die on the cross for your personality. He didn't didn't die on the cross to save your voice. He died to save you. You. That little ball of clay that he breathed his life in. Joseph used his gifts to gain favor in the eyes of men. That favor failed him again and again. Misuse of his gifts. We use our gifts to impress others, to make ourselves stand out, to become unique, which results in the favor of others. We even start to believe it ourselves We are loved and respected better than others because of our gifts. But favor fails. It fails in the family like it did for Joseph. It fails in the workplace like it did with Potiphar. And it fails in the worst place like it did in that jail. Favor forgets. People value your gifts until they get what they got. And then they're gone. But God will never fail you. And He will never forget you. He will never never turn His back on you. He will never use you or abuse you. So now as we close, if I could just get somebody to play some pretty stuff on the piano that makes people want Jesus more. (laughs) Apparently. I'm sorry. If, If you're offended by my humor, I believe God is so big and so awesome that the people that needed to hear that they can giggle and, and God still can change them. I'm about to do the worst water altar call ever, though. The worst one ever. My whole life I've heard pastors call people down to receive the glorious gift of God, the wonderful gift of salvation. They never tell you how much work you have to do. 
after you get there. The burden is light, but it's still burdening, ain't it? I'm going to ask you to come down here and ask God to break you. To pray that prayer that I prayed. Not that I'm any kind of an example, but if any part of this related to you at all and you felt any part of it strike a chord, that's the Holy Spirit. It's not me. He wants to break through what you think you are and what He made you to be, and then He wants to build from that up. When I started this sermon, before I wrote all those words out, I asked God, what do you want me to say to the people? And He said this, and it wasn't the three-point sermon. It wasn't the intro. It was just this. Lay yourself bare before your God. Do not be afraid. Just be loved. The scariest thing in the world is to strip off all the things that we put in front of others. Because adults have a deal with each other that kids don't have, by the way. And I think it's the reason why people are afraid to work with kids sometimes. Is we have a deal that I'll believe what you're putting up about yourself if you believe what I'm putting up about myself. I'll believe your mask if you trust mine. And we don't want to work with kids because we go in there and the kids are like, oh, you're dumb, you're weird, you're, you're, you're a pain. I don't like you. Kids don't play that game, do they? So strip all those things off and let God get to who he created you to be because the truth is, no matter what you see as yourself as, God values that. He loves that. He wants to work with that. And you're not a piece of what's it. You're a valuable piece of clay that he created. And your value is not based on the American dream, what you earn, what you do, what you don't do. It's based on the fact that he sent his son to die for you. Lord, I ask you in Jesus' name to draw the hearts of your people. People that need you for the first time and people that need you yet again. Revive us, O Lord. Renew a right spirit in us, O God. We just want to be where you want us to be. And we want to be loved, God. We we need to allow you to do that, though, because you do. You do love us. It's there. God, we don't want anything between it and us. Your love drives out fear. It disciplines us. It rightens us. It fixes us. It perfects us. It gives us a glimpse of who you are. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed that sermon. I'd love to hear your feedback and concepts and ideas and theories and whatever else. You can send such things to help. I'm a CP at gmail.com or you can call them in 2095-NL-CAST. And as always, um, you know, give us a review on iTunes if you haven't yet. Let us know that you're out there listening. And uh, we'll see you next time right here on Children's Ministry Monthly. Children's Ministry Monthly. Help, I'm a children's pastor. Oh, help me.